What is up, freaks? It's your boy, Marty Ben, here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I'm standing outside in a rainstorm in my screened-in porch, getting these ads out for you freaks. Doing it in the rain, in a storm. The pod never sleeps. Sorry, Adam Carey, for calling it the pod. The podcast never sleeps. This rip was brought to you by our friends at the motherfucking Cash Cash up something you stack sets, send sets, receive sets, and sell sets if you so please. I think you may be able to send sets in a very unique way. Or not a very unique way, but like in a new way on the Cash App at some point in the near future. Cash App can even be your bank account. They're offering account numbers and routing numbers and get paychecks direct deposited into the app so that you can stack sats even quicker. Use the code stacking sats if you haven't downloaded the app yet. That's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10. $10 going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Woo, woo, woo. Owls Lacrosse. This trip was also brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained is here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your security model. The way they do this best is by helping you set up one of their vaults, which is a two or three multi-sig wallet uh, it's a collaborative custody model you hold two keys so that you can always move your utxos in and out of your vault at your own volition but unchain is there with the key as well so they can be that second in the two or three signature if you ever need their help they have a lending product they have an incredible blog uh, they have a white glove concierge service it's going to take you from zero to having a vault set up with a thousand cuck bucks worth of stats in it they're going to have multiple video conference calls with you. They're going to get you hardware wallets. They're going to get you comfortable with everything. They're going to get your vault set up, and they're going to dump sats into that vault once it is set up. Use the, or Tell them that TFTC sent you. You'll get $50 off that package. Go check out everything they have at unchained.com. U-N-C-H-A-I-N-E-D.com. An incredible blog, too. Check that out as well. This room is also brought to you by our good friends at Compass Mining. Compass Mining is here to get more individuals into Bitcoin mining. They want more individual ownership of hash rate. So what you do is you go to compassmining.io. You can purchase an ASIC. Uh, you, you can have it sent to your home so you can mine at home. Uh, they have an at-home mining team that's going to be there to support you, teach you how to plug your miner in, the electrical infrastructure necessary for each miner, how to get your miner connected to the internet and then connected to a mining pool how to get your sats from the mining pool it's a beautiful thing that's their at-home service they also give you the ability if you go to compassmining.io to buy a miner and then uh plug it in at a partner hosting facility that they have uh they have competitive electricity rates so you buy the miner you pick a hosting facility they get the miner they plug it in there and they start streaming sats your way so go check out everything they have going on at compassmining.io last but not least this rip was brought to you by our good friends at Brains, Brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S dot com. If you want to go to the website, Brains is the team behind Slushable and they're the team behind Brains OS Plus auto-tuning firmware, which is going to help you get more sats for your hash. Uh, what they do is they, they dive into the ASICs and they find the, the higher frequency chips that are going to produce more hashes and they focus on those chips and, and auto-tune your ASIC to focus on those chips so they can stack more sats. They have many mining models available uh, for the Brains OS Plus firmware. Uh, what else do I have to say here? What else do I have to say? Uh, many models, they're hiring if you're a Rust developer. Uh, they have an incre- they 
or a hardware engineer or a system admin. They're one of the top teams in Bitcoin. I am too dumb to work for them. If I were smart enough, I would. They're committed. Uh, like I said, they're a team behind Slush Bowl. They did a big upgrade this summer. It lets you get more granular payouts, uh, split payouts, uh, threshold payouts. Uh, yeah, go check it out. Uh, What's Miner's coming soon, apparently. S19 firmware is coming soon, too. It's in private beta. I believe it will be going more public at some point soon, TM. So go check out everything they have at brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. And go check out their Twitter as well, at brains underscore systems, where they're posting long threads, diving deep into mining. They've also got great profitability tools and a great blog. Go check it all out. Enjoy this rip. Chris Stewart. I didn't even intro him in the beginning. What an asshole. So... I was so like proud of myself for doing this in the rain. I'm like not even really in the rain. I'm like in a screen and porch. It is raining out. I'm I'm pretty dry right now. Enjoy this rip. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Let's do it. Chris, I just ninja launched on you because we're, we're talking about something very important here. Family lineage, history. And the ability to record that history in modern day. You want to record a, a podcast with your grandmother? Yeah, um, my grandma is eighty-one years old. Uh, I have, you know, one of my four grandparents left, and uh, you get to talking to your, you know, grandparents about what it was like when they grew up and the things that they, uh, you know, what what was the norms of the time. And uh, my grandma lived in very rural Iowa growing up, and uh, in an agriculture community. And understanding, like, you know, when things like electricity and, like, running water, like, got to her household growing up is just one of these, like, very humbling things to listen to. It's like, you know, we're talking, uh, you know, 1950s, early 60s before this stuff was happening in, like, the very rural parts of the nation. And that's kind of, you know, for me, anyway, that's just uh, crazy to think that we're talking, you know, 60 years ago and there's, like, my grandma didn't have this stuff. Um there's a, an anecdote that she shared with me um, about, you know, bathing in the family. They would put a cattle tank out in the sun all day, filled up with cold water in the morning. And throughout the day, the, the sunlight would heat up the water so you could have a warm bath at the end of the day. And uh, it just goes to show the um, you know, amount of things we take for granted in the modern age uh, between electricity, hot water, clean drinking water is another big one. And uh, if you don't like kind of capture like this parts of your family history it can be lost very easily and you know part of the podcasting medium that is so cool is you can really um you know capture that moment in time and capture that information and share it with your you know kids someday when they uh you know come of age and are interested in that stuff so that they can have an idea of where your family came from like, you know, my grandma Janice did X, Y, and Z and, uh, you know, understand kind of, uh, you know, that, that part of your family history. Yeah, no, I fucking love the idea. Now I want to record a podcast of my lone remaining grandparent. Love you, grandma. 
And you said you were only going to share it with your family, but I think you should put it out there publicly because we, before we hit record too, we're just discussing the uh, the concept of oblivion. And you mentioned the uh, the phrase, you die three deaths. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's that uh, you have your like physical death, you have your mental death, and you have the last time anyone ever echoes your name or thinks about you on the face of the earth. And that's like your last death. And, um, you know, now that we live in this age of technology, hopefully we can, you know, we're, we're boosting physical and mental deaths, you know, with, I guess, medicine these days. But um, we can also really capture people's, um, capture more information about people and uh, kind of fairly represent them with the podcasting medium in an easy, cheap way. So um, that's, uh, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And, uh, you know, my grandma's 81 and you know, it doesn't get any easier right? when you're, when you're 81, you're, you know, you're kind of on a certain trajectory and, uh, it's important to, you know, capture those moments though, and capture that, uh, family history. And, uh, that's something I, I, I think is really cool. I think it's really cool too. And she's still in Iowa. She, yep. She lives in uh, rural, a uh, rural community in Iowa, uh, Northeastern Iowa, and she's lived there all of her life. Um, I'm from a very, you know, agriculture based family, both sides. And, uh, They've lived in North, most of my family's lived in Northeast Iowa for all their lives, milking cows, uh, farming, uh, various crops. And uh, that's kind of the history of the Stewart slash Hodfit family. Yeah. I love this idea. We should all record podcasts with our grandparents. It's funny because my grandmother is, she's not 81. She's in her late 60s, approaching 70. Um, but she's got, she's a great storyteller. It's like one thing, like we, she's got great stories from growing up. She has a, a very interesting, um, life to her mother died when she was very, very young. Um, and so it was like her dad and then her stepmother, my great grandmother, Esther, um, who was Scottish, um, who stepped into her family and it's just, uh, a very interesting upbringing, um, that she had in, in the way she met my grandfather and had my dad and my uncle and. It's funny. She's the Northeast Philly woman too. Oh yeah. Too. She's she booing at the Eagles games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just well, kidding. That, well, she moved out. Like, don't don't you become a Cowboys fan when you move down there? <laughs> yeah, that was actually that was one thing I'm really happy I did. Um, she moved to Delaware for some reason. Grandma, if you're listening to this, what I tell you this every time. I don't know why you, you you lived in Philadelphia for the first 65 years of your life and then you just moved to Delaware. And uh, uh, Marty's grandma. Uh, he's going to ask you that on a podcast soon. I think is the correct answer yeah. here to get to the bottom of this pressing. Yes, question. Grandma, we're going to get we're going to get to the bottom of why you moved to Delaware. Now, but right before, two days before, I wound up driving down here to make the final move. I took uh, my son and my wife. We went and visited her. She lives with her sister now. It's funny. My uh, my my grandma and my aunt Bernie just uh, <laughs> and aunt Bernie can't hear. <laughs> she just goes, "Hun, hun." What was that? She just smiles. She's like one of those deaf people just smiles. She's not like deaf. Uh, she she can't hear. She's partially deaf, but like she just smiles and like, ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they wear their like sweatsuits and sit in their recliners watching Philly sports. And, oh, hell yeah. And eating hoagies. That is steaks. Do you think uh, she knows um, like the immigration story from your family of coming to the United States? Uh, yes, I do, um, because my grandfather was very into. Um, our, this is her husband, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, my uh, my grandfather was very into our lineage and okay. tracing that. And actually, my uncle um, picked up that torch as well, and he's still like he has like a very 
very uh, detailed family tree of where of where we all came from. And yes, we're uh, we got some German background, English, um, Irish. Um, so we come from that part of the world. Gotcha. Yeah, I think my family on my mom's side anyway immigrated from Norway in the 1880s. Um, I think there was you know some sort of depression going on over in Norway at the time that caused a lot of people to emigrate over to the states. And I believe that would be my grandma's grandparents. But again, going back to the the podcasting thing with your grandparents is like these are the kinds of things that you like you want to get on the record so that you don't have the uh, what was it again that you know uncle whatever told me at Christmas yeah. five years ago and uh, you know you're trying to remember that 20 years later when you know you really start to think about those things. Yeah, no, we actually have my, my other my mom's side, my grandmother. Uh, and grandfather both passed, um, but my uncle, uh, he actually has this one video of my grandmother like gardening and like talking about like how she tends to her plants and it's like, it was towards the end of her life and, it, and he shares it with everybody like once a year, like, Hey, um, here's mom to what she loved, loved gardening. But like, that's one thing we have as a family that we all cherish is that video my uncle Tommy took like randomly one day when when he was living with her towards the end of her life. And yeah, I mean, that's why I, you know, I, I bring it up to you because you, you obviously know a lot about podcasting and like, you know, what's the most effective way to get it done. Um, I, you know, I don't want to start my own podcast and do a recurring series, but it is something that, you know, I, I care about and would want to be done very well. Uh, because yeah, I, I would love to keep it around for, you know, my kids, even my grandkids someday and show them grandma Janice and, uh, um, you know, who she was and you, you can see the actual video of it and I don't have to, you know, draw the picture uh, for you and, um, you know, forget things along the way as we all do as time passes on. Yeah. This is a great wholesome way to start this, this episode of Tales from the Crypt. If you're in northeastern Iowa uh, and you have the capacity to set up audio video podcasting gear for Chris, he's, he's looking for some help. Yeah, that, that, that would be awesome. I would really appreciate that. And uh you know, yeah, slide into my DMs. I'm very interested in that. Yeah. Um, I look forward to listening to it. I want to listen to your uh, your podcast with Grandma Janice. <laughs> she's uh, she's spunky for an 81-year-old. She's uh, she's uh, more than I can handle, to be honest. <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's, she's alive and well, doing great, and uh, thriving is probably the way to put it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want to go from wholesome to too morbid here, but we were talking last night about Chicago. Oh Jesus. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's tough. Uh, you know, it's, uh, sh- you know, Chirac is back, I guess is probably the way to put it. Um, you know, we're talking, you know, in the nicest parts of town, there's like shootouts in the middle of the day. And, uh, you know, in Lincoln park, uh, earlier this week at a shopping center, there was a cop that got shot in the cheek Holy in the shit. face. So, you know, that's what it was. He got shot in the face um, because he was trying to intervene in a domestic violence situation where I think some guy was trying to abduct a woman and, you know, it spiraled out of control. And then you end up having, you know, a shootout between the cops and this guy at a Lincoln Park shopping center. Like, and again, Lincoln Park, very nice part yeah. of chicago we're not talking englewood here what sh- what shopping center was it like diversity in halstead or i i i i don't live up in that area so i i don't know the area super well i i couldn't tell you but um you know it's 
it's uh keep talking i'm fixing your mic i'm seeing something on the podcasting thing that- yeah it's um you know it's it's crazy how uh violent though it seems to be traditionally chicago's violence like the last like 20 or 30 years has kind of been isolated in the south side and um you know it it, it's chicago's like a weirdly segregated city i guess you could say very um and you know most things are out of sight out of mind it's really sad and horrible to say that but that is an attitude that you know happens in chicago um, as you know, this violence uh, kind of permeates into the nicer parts of town. Hopefully, some people in the uh, you know that have some sway in the city, the politicians, stop um, stop with the course that they're on and understand that people need uh, to have consequences for their actions, and uh, that is something that seems to be uh, forgotten about. Like you know. I, I'm optimistic now that we have Team Blue back in the White House, we can start like not uh, politicizing this stuff as much as we've done the last four years and understand that, you know, there does need to be consequences uh, for actions, especially physical violence. Like, you know, I was joking with you before this, but um, it seems like you have more repercussions these days if you say something wrong than if you like literally assault somebody, which is just, you know, when you know your society's out of whack. I don't think it's a joke. I think that's actually the reality of the situation that we live in in this country. It's pretty crazy, pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah. And that was we were both at the Austin Bit Devs last night, and it was interesting to see... Uh, Park Mayor Parker, <laughs> yeah, he always has to make a an Austin specific uh, announcement before we get into the thick of bit devs. And last night was uh, the uh, the the proposition uh, vote that's up right now, uh, which is about giving the police sufficient funding so that uh, Austin and this is the way they describe it doesn't go to the way of San Francisco, L.A., yeah, and New York, and Chicago, Chicago, and other areas. And and I, I thought it was a really Powerful message because it was bipartisan. It was anti-political. It was all about um, quality of life and and ensuring that the city of Austin provides its citizens with a quality of life and, and a degree of safety that everybody is comfortable with. And, and it's just like very straightforward and um, practical solutions. Let's fund the police. And what I like, all right, let's make sure that we have bilingual police. To make sure that they have sufficient training. We're going to up the training from 40 hours to 80 hours, which is the one thing that I think every police force in this country needs is more training. That's why you have all these shitty situations where they're just just killing people <laughs> well because <laughs> they can't handle the stress d- and they freak out. Just they- to interrupt you a little bit here, another crazy thing that's going on in Chicago is like, I think up to half the police force might walk off the job because they're putting these vaccine mandates on these guys. And like, you know, say what you want about the vaccine or whatever. Like, I'm more worried about catching a bullet in Chicago than I am worried about catching COVID. Um, It's if we have half the police force walk off the job, we're going to find out, you know, what uh, the dystopian anarchy looks like pretty quickly in Chicago, I think, Uh, you know, Back last year with the George Floyd stuff, like um, that happened in May, you know, rioting, looting, all stores broken into in downtown Chicago. And then they decided to follow it up with an encore two months later when 
I don't even know what happened. And they went up and robbed Michigan Avenue on the middle uh, on a Sunday night. We all woke up Monday morning and find all the beautiful stores on Michigan Ave broken into and stolen. And stuff just looted. Yeah, the Nike and, store right there got got absolutely demolished. So I mean, again, like whatever your opinions on the vaccine are, like half your police force walking off the job over this mandate. Like, I I hope somebody backs down i you know whether it's the police or the the mayor but you know as a citizen of chicago like it's just a terrifying proposition to have that happen in um you know a city that that it's that violent in and to hear this refreshing message down here in austin you know from what parker says is like you know police aren't the bad guys they provide a service to us and they're an integral part of the community do they make mistakes absolutely they're human everybody makes mistakes and sometimes they're absolutely awful mistakes but you know you can't uh you know demonize the entire community for the actions of you know a few bad apples too so that's uh, you know it's it's tough times in chicago i would say you know it's they're really getting to the brink of uh you know, where they're going to have this city go the next 20 or 30 years and, uh, you know, whether it goes the way of Detroit or finds a way out and uh, becomes, you know, uh, Chicago reincarnate from years past. Yeah. I mean, as somebody who lived in Chicago for five and a half, six years and truly loves the city, I hope it does find its It's a beautiful out. city. It really is. And it's a good, great culture, very blue collar culture and incredible amenities, incredible food, incredible sports and the weather in the winter sucks a bit, but it's a character builder. Um, I would argue like the better part of the financial world um, is in Chicago. I I, I much prefer the the CBOT, CME, uh, Chicago School of, not School of Finance, but uh, implementation of finance compared to Wall Street. I think it's much more salt of the earth type people um, in that, in that financial realm and then yeah like just going back to like to the cops issue too i think what people need to understand too is chicago specifically like you said it's segregated you have the south side the west side and then you have the north side but there's a pocket in the south side too where a lot of these cops come from it's like the south side irish and they're like old school they've been there you know, over a century uh a very strong tight-knit community there and that's where a lot a lot of the police come from i believe is is that that south side irish yeah. pocket um and yeah i mean they don't they, they have a very strong culture. They don't want to be forced to do anything. You have Lori Lightfoot coming in, and yeah. she's a complete buffoon. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just say it straight out. She's a buffoon. Like, she should have never been. That's what, that's why, like, the alderman system in Chicago, like, can lead to these yeah. these stupid situations, like how they have their, their city politics set up. Like, and that's another thing. I, I probably said this on the podcast before, but it bears repeating. People think, Chicago is called the Windy City because it's very windy, which it is off the lake. It is very windy, but it's called the Windy City because its politics are so corrupt. Like they're so windy, and uh, it's uh, it's really remarkable. Yeah, yeah, and so there's something needs to be done. And, and again, I've I have a lot of friends, a couple of which uh, grew up in the South Side Irish part of Chicago, and they they are police, and they they do not like the situation at all. And they're, they're truly good people. Yeah. They just want to protect the city of Chicago, and they have this tyrant midget mayor who's just like out there trying to yeah i think she's up for re-election and well i mean the the really disheartening thing um you know i i Lori is whatever i i'm kind of indifferent about her but you know the uh yeah the problems most of the time are the attorney generals mm-hmm. in this, these various states so you know you got 
Chase Boudin out in San Francisco, whose dad is liter- literally a terrorist. They got pardoned by Chris Cuomo. Both his parents. Both his parents are literally terrorists. And I. The weather underground. They killed two black police officers in the 70s, and now we're walking free. Um, there is also Kim Fox here in Chicago, and she comes from this, you know. I think it's called restorative justice ideology founded in the universities. And, uh, you know, this means no consequences for physical actions, it seems. It seems like, you know, you talk about your theories or whatever in academia, and I don't really care personally until it, you know, comes to the streets. And you see this actually practically playing out in cities like San Francisco, in cities like Chicago. And like what we as citizens all need to think about is like, is this what we want? Is this the ideology that, you know, it's manifesting itself on our streets? And again, I am more worried about catching bullets than catching COVID on like the streets of Chicago. Like it's, um, it's, it's just bad. I mean, I, I, it's really just sad to see. It really is. And what's even sadder to see is that there isn't really a, an effort to have an honest conversation about all this is all very visceral. And that's why I really appreciated. I, I can't believe I can't remember the name of the organization that spoke before BitDevs last night, but they're, they're pushing for, for sensible um, police funding and then police training on top of that. And it just makes sense. All right. Yes. Let's, let's recognize that there are certainly inherent problems in, in a lot of the police forces across the country that deal or that primarily are driven by the fact that, um, there's not enough training. Like there's not enough stress training. There's not mm-hmm. enough de-escalation training. There's not yeah. enough language training. Like you need to line up police officers in certain communities with certain um, certain demographics and, and languages that that allow people to communicate when there is an event that that the police need to show up to. Um, it's simple, straightforward, sensical solutions that are out there, and nobody. Like you have to have them discuss before bit devs. Like yeah. it's not, you don't have them discuss on like CNN or. Well, it's refreshing <laughs> to hear somebody saying that message. And I was like, God, Austin really <laughs> is. Uh, at least there's a pushback. And like, I, you know, I don't know how successful this organization is, but it's just refreshing to hear the message that uh, you know, we care about your physical safety when you're walking around. Yeah. And uh, we're going to try and keep you guys safe. And we're going to fight for that cause where is in Chicago, that seems to be one of the lowest priorities yeah. right now. Well, they have been successful, and they mentioned it um, earlier with the uh, the camping ban. They, they successfully got the tents out of uh, Austin, and, uh, and, are, and people can't just set up tents and, yeah. and just like live wherever. They're not. We're not going to turn into San Francisco. We're not going to turn into L.A. Um, hopefully, we don't turn into like. Hopefully, Philadelphia doesn't get as bad as San Francisco and L.A., but they have a similar situation with a shitty DA. Um, a shitty police chief that are trying to push the city that way. I won't be back to fight for Philadelphia. Don't worry. Um, but with the, and that's the other thing too, like everybody viscerally like on CNN and mainstream with the, the tenting ban specifically, was just like, Oh, you're anti-homeless. And they were like, actually, no, like we can prove that the homeless living in these tents is actually worse for them. Like they're more yeah. likely to do drugs. They're more likely to be uh, unsanitary. Like there's better solutions to help yeah. these people. I, I listened to a really interesting podcast on that recently on Joe Rogan is he had, I think it's like Schellenberger. Uh, he wrote San Francisco, I think is the book's name. And he talks about how like homeless is such a misleading term too. And like where, you know, most of the woke crowd here in uh, the United States get their, 
ideology from is Europe and uh, things that you know were tried out in the 70s and 80s in Europe with um, they had a drug problem there at the time and they refused to call it homelessness they uh, called it an open drug bazaar and they were very specific with that term because most of these people are choosing to live here so that they can do drugs not that they don't have the financial means if they were to get clean to get a house and you know live safely and his argument on the podcast is uh you know we have plenty of uh resources to help people here in the united states but at the end of the day it's you know if you guys have ever dealt with an addict in your life um they have to be willing to help themselves before you can give help to them and providing them a home you know is just going to end up getting sold for the thing that they love the most uh which is their drug of choice yeah. and i i think that's the right way to look about look at it personally i'd encourage other people to go listen to that podcast it's really interesting yeah and i mean i'm sure many of you that are listening now have experienced this yourself whether in your family or friend group with uh, addiction obviously it's a rampant problem in this country specifically i know me personally i've lost a cousin to it and, and many friends and it's it, it, that is exactly true like they need that was one thing when we were trying to save my cousin, particularly we were getting advice or like he needs to hit rock yeah. bottom and, and that's make so the hard to do himself. Yeah. It's uh, and like, you know, you, it's so easy to portray that as you're not being compassionate. You're not, uh, what is the word? Empathizing mm -hmm. with the person. You're not, uh, you know, feeling their pain and because of X, Y, and Z in their past, it's justified for them to do this. But uh, you know, you can't always be looking in the past uh, for, you know, you can't always be looking backwards. You got to start looking forwards at some point and understand like, you know, whatever the substance of choice is, uh, you know, you need to put it down. If you're not willing to put it down, um, you as, I guess, a person on the outside, you can't like force them to do it. It's something they have to come to realize themselves. And it's so heartbreaking yeah. that that is the truth in my opinion or anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think many medical professionals would, would, would advise that as well. And, Again, there's there's other ways to attack these problems. Let's think about like, that's why I love focusing on Bitcoin um, specifically because it, it gets a first principle and attacks a core of a massive problem in the world, which is the corruption of money um, with drug addiction. What's the core of that? Maybe it's uh, the the accessibility to opiates that is just they're giving out like candy the dopamine release of yeah. whatever that drug is that yeah. they love and well it's just not even that it's just like the the accessibility these drugs shouldn't be as accessible they shouldn't be given out um i mean if you've seen the uh, the documentary on hbo the documentary series i forget what it was called but it came out like earlier this year that described like the how opiates and, and benzos got uh, prescribed to millions of people they were you basically had the pharmaceutical companies uh, yeah. create create a a symptom called pain and they you can treat pain and like pain is such a broad yeah. uh, subjective term like uh, what is pain is it emotional pain is it physical pain is that physical pain actually it's real? relative it's there's no like absolute pain that you can really accurately measure across person to person it's such a subjective thing that uh you know it, it's a very subjective thing yeah and it was all a rationalization to sell a product, which is fucking a, an addictive drug. And it's still ravaging the country. I mean, the NHL is going through it right now. They lost Jimmy Hayes. He died of a fentanyl overdose. Really? Um, you know, it was mixed with cocaine. Um, but he, he got and his family came out very open about it, very emotional about it. Um, he was 
being prescribed opiates by the team doctor like they were like they were pez and he got addicted to opiates yeah. and eventually went into other drugs so and we're, we're about the same age i'm guessing and like a big thing when i was in high school so I, I graduated high school in 2010 you know rural iowa again class of 69 kids in my graduating class so super small you know everybody and uh, you know there was just some fiends in my high school for people that were uh, getting their wisdom teeth pulled and uh, they would just be hunting down these people asking for uh, oxys or whatever painkillers were prescribed to them at the time. And I didn't really understand, like, you know, what's going on or why this is such a cool or cool thing, quote unquote, or why these people care about this so much. But and you watch, you know, kind of it unfold over time after you get out of high school. And this person that I'm thinking of specifically definitely hit rock bottom and got clean as far as I know and has turned his life around which is great but um you know when you're 17 or 16 and you know you get your like something as simple as your wisdom teeth pulled you start popping these things that make you feel good and you don't understand like this is you know the pharmaceutical version of very strong like opio opio uh, opioids I can't say the word but um in it you know led this individual down this you know terrible path and uh at the time you know 2008 2009 2010 people just didn't know or at least i i didn't know anyway yeah i mean so i graduated 2009 so i guess i'm a year older than you at least uh class-wise schooling-wise and um it never hit like during high school maybe it did and i was just unaware of it but like in college philly was like one of the per capitals of the world um maybe might still be i'm not sure um, you had like the Perk Highway from Florida all the way up to yeah. the Northeast and Philly was one of the hubs. A lot of kids that stayed and went to SJU or Temple uh, um, fell into that yeah. that abyss. Um, many made it out. I know I know quite a few did fall down and, and made it out and cleaned themselves up, but some some didn't make it out. Uh, and yeah, like one thing I was proud of, my I think my parents learning the lesson from my cousin specifically my brother tore his acl and he got surgery um his junior year in high school and they wouldn't let him take opiates they're like no it's not happening yeah i mean it's try it without first if it's the pain's really bad like i understand and like but i think the default should be like let's you know try the ibuprofen the tylenol like you know just if you're if you're still really hurting in a couple days maybe come back or maybe that's what they've done but going to like you know the bitcoin angle of this is like i think what bitcoin uh, you know does for a lot of people is also kind of gives purpose and uh you know when you're in that age range especially 18 to let's say 25 you know you've you're you have a lot of freedom thrust upon you you know generally you're out of your parents household and it's kind of like well what do i do next and uh you know Bitcoin for me, you know, I got into Bitcoin when I was 21, 22, and it was like this, you know, illuminating thing like this is so cool and I can like work on this. I can, you know, build cool things with Bitcoin. There's this awesome community around it of people online that I can go and talk to, interact with almost anywhere in any city now. And, uh, you know, have that sense of community and purpose that you're like working for a cause that's bigger than yourself. And um, I hope like other people people that are younger you know say you're in that 18 to 20 age range and hopefully instead of you know kind of tripping up along the common things that a lot of us did you know i, I love the booze back in the day i still love the booze and not as quite as much anymore um 
but you know having that thing to work towards and work on and give you that kind of sense of purpose and mission and uh, for me like i i think bitcoin really fulfills that um i listened to a really great podcast with lex friedman and alex gladstein the other day uh you know gladstein lays out this like amazing mission for bitcoin and he does it in such an articulate way that really motivates uh, it mo motivated me anyway to keep like really working hard on it and like thinking like how can we solve these problems for the next you know three or four billion people and give people this freedom that they don't currently have and that's like something that's you know worth spending a lifetime working on in my opinion completely agreed and i i mean the last two years specifically has really driven home the concept of of deaths of desperation uh, driven by alcohol abuse drug abuse uh, mental illness that drives people to suicide and and, and there's, I mean, the, the quote, mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation is, is really, I think, applicable to, to our modern age. And, and there are things out there like Bitcoin that can provide purpose. Uh, another thing, highly recommend, have a child. Uh, oh, yeah. That'll provide, uh, that'll provide some purpose in your life as well. Uh, Maybe not when you're 18. But no. <laughs> well, yeah. If you Maybe, got the right lady. If you yeah, got the, if you right, got the right lady. lady um and you think you're able to provide. Uh, yes. That's, uh, my parents are young and they had, they were 22, so not 18, but yeah. And then. Well, yeah. going back to those generational shifts. Yeah. I think my grandma, you know, had her first kid when she was 19 or something like that. And you know, nowadays I, I'm 29 and I don't have any kids, but hopefully that changes in the next couple of years. Oh yeah. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. And yeah, I think, I think, yeah, a lot of people are, especially like after the lockdowns too, like people are at home, they're doing, they're depressed, they're doing this stuff. And then they're thinking like, oh, when the lockdown's up, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to my, my nine to five push and Excel spreadsheets. Like, holy shit, I don't want to do that at all. And they need, people need better purpose in this world. Yeah. And I think Bitcoin provides that. There's a lot to do. We got to fix the money. We got to lower our time preference. We got to fix the, the, sick culture that we have out there this high time preference go 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 spend 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 flaunt 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 um there's many lessons to be learned and and shared uh, over the next couple decades i think of how we're going to fix this world and good segue into the meat of the conversation bitcoin does fix this and you're working to provide uh the world with the tools which make bitcoin more useful provide more utility to it and so for any of you freaks who may not have Chris been on the podcast, I think it's your fourth appearance, third or fourth. Uh, yeah, so, so, yeah, it's something like that. I've done one with you in Austin, did one with you right before COVID in New York. And which you did is, one before that, right? Yeah. I, maybe we did one like remotely. It's I I don't. We might have done one remotely at some point. Um, I, I I can't recall at the moment, but uh, you know, the funnest one was definitely the you know March of early March of 2020 when uh you we were, yeah me and Adav like rolling around New York like at the center of COVID <laughs> like the world's about to stop two days later and we're sitting down in you know Marty's apartment building on a you know a couch in a lobby area doing uh doing a TFTC and then um you know speculating about where this COVID stuff was going because at that point it was kind of like the whispers and rumors of like don't freak out because it may be just totally fake news and uh you know here we sit uh, 18 months later and guess it wasn't fake news yeah. and the world has definitely changed a little bit <laughs> quite a bit and it is uh 
I'm happy that we're able to do this in person. It's so, such a better flow. In oh person. yeah. And we did it in April, me, you and Ben. Um, and yeah, now we're here. A lot has changed. I think people silver lining, one of the silver linings, I think there's a few silver linings to the, the last year and a half, uh, uh, states rights being reasserted. Certainly one of them. And another is that people are, are beginning to question authority and whether or not the uh, central planning of a global economy actually makes sense and whether the people, quote-unquote, in charge are actually competent enough to, to s- steer the ship of, yeah. of this global society, if you will. Uh, and uh, again, I think people are starting to look for alternatives or noticing that the money printer go burr uh, <laughs> may not be the best solution to all of the problems. And I mean, this I, th- I feel like this can all be summed up by the whole uh, govern me harder data meme. <laughs> like, that is like the most epic meme I've seen in the last like, you know, four or five months is if you guys haven't seen this govern me harder daddy meme, like check that out because yeah, it's, it's just pretty an much NPC th- with 15 <laughs> needles in his arm. <laughs> <laughs> just like, keep shooting me up, baby. Like, I'm your, I'm your experiment. Oh, God damn it. And then we have prices rising, people freaking out about that now. And it's really being driven uh, to the forefront that holy shit, like the money might be messed up. Uh, what the hell is going on? Obviously, we have Bitcoin hit an all-time high earlier this week. You have uh, going mainstream. You had Tucker Carlson talking about uh, inflation and QE to his audience of millions of people the other week. I thought that was... Maybe I'm overblowing it or, or, or making it more significant than it was, but I think driving that narrative to the forefront of, of a mainstream audience is actually a pivotal cultural moment. Um, I don't think that one segment specifically will be looked back upon, but I think the, the conversation of inflation becoming more prominent and people asking what the hell is yeah, going it's, on. You know, I, I was talking to somebody and it's like, it's like this uh, little constant reminder every day you go to the store and buy something and you can just like measure it against what, what did it cost for me to get this bread last week? And then you kind of slowly, it's like, why is my grocery bill, you know, 30% higher than it was like six months ago. Like what's going on here? Like, this is like the kind of thing that, um, makes people like, it, you know, it's when you, it affects you personally is when you really start thinking about these things. And, uh, um, you know, it just creeps into your life, uh, you know, silently is what inf- inflation kind of does. And before you know it, you understand, or you realize like, Oh wow, I, I do not have as much money as I used to, even though, um, I'm getting, I guess, paid the same amount of money. Well, I can almost guarantee you, my wife, uh, as you know, right before we sat down and record, she put my son in the car. They were going to the grocery store. They should be back any minute. Uh, I don't know if she'll interrupt the podcast, but I can almost guarantee that either when she gets back, maybe she will, or when we're done, I'll go in. She'll be like, guess how much it was this week? Yeah. The last three weeks, she's like, oh my gosh, like, look, look at, I got three bags. This cost two seventy five. dollars like, It's insane. Like, it's like, ah. Uh. Yeah, she's going to come back. She's been noticing um, pretty, uh, it's been noticeable. Like she's been like, oh my gosh, it's like, it's happening. Yeah. And this is like one of these like orange pill moments. I feel like if you've heard the, uh, if you've heard about Bitcoin before and you know, you hear people like you and me rant on and on about money and like why it's so important and why Bitcoin's different. 
and you're like, okay, well, whatever, like maybe Chris and Marty are just crazy guys, you know, on a podcast somewhere. But then you, you know, you see it's like, oh, wait, like some of this stuff that they're mentioning is actually kind of becoming true in my daily life. And uh, maybe I need to start taking those, you know, the, the questions that, that they are kind of hypothesizing or the answers that they're giving more seriously, or at least, uh, you know, spend some time actually thinking about that. Because, uh, you know, it isn't just this theoretical abstract thing. It's affecting my daily life um, now. And, like, I got to do something about it. Yeah. I'm not able to eat the quality of food that I that I was only a few months ago. I'm not able to eat as much as I wanted to. I'm not able to fill my tank uh, uh, as many times as I'd like to to travel where I'd like to. It's I saw a tweet today. There's something in Northern California, apparently... A gallon of gas is getting up to like seven fifty. Yeah, I saw that too. I was like, "Damn!" <laughs> right? Yeah, I think it's like four fifty in the middle. You know, in, in the Chicago area that I live in, which is like you know downtown Chicago, and they typically have like in any inner city typically high gas prices. But still, like you know, we're gonna be pushing five bucks by Christmas, I think. So, yeah. um, uh. that's you know. That, that, you know, affects the uh, poorest people in society. It doesn't affect, you know, wealthy people. Yeah, and, I, and again, going back to the central planners and their incompetence, like the policies that they're attempting to pass right now uh, are only going to affect poor people even more. I mean, we saw it in New York earlier this year with the shutdown of that very reliable nuclear power plant. Um, and now with the quote-unquote Green New Deal, Build Back Better Act, whatever they're calling it these days, like they're they're trying to force that policy on the rest of the country <laughs> just to wipe out reliable energy generation yeah. and replace it. Uh, not even replace it. They're going to like plan to replace it um, and that increase electricity cost. And that increase of electricity costs does affect the rich, but they can, they can stomach it. It affects the poor the most. Yeah. Like the, people in harlem people in queens uh people down in englewood in yeah. chicago yeah. um like going back to a comment you had earlier though about like um you know wall street versus chicago finance like someone you should get on this podcast is uh, uh bill mallers jack mallers dad and i would love to hear him talk about the whole like etf coming out <laughs> you know fight the fud that's kind of like uh you know 20 you know does does this ETF futures products circumvent like the 21 million coin limit and he's such an like experienced operator in the space and has such a like a wealth of knowledge in Chicago finance like I think it would be a really fascinating podcast if you know you can swing that to get him on yeah and I think Jack might be in town so I might have to uh, hit him on the shoulder yeah say, hey not hit him tap him on the shoulder and say hey I'd like to have your dad on the show yeah um you know Bitcoin mom and uh Bill or, you know, one of these like treasures in the Bitcoin yeah. community from Chicago started uh, the uh, Chicago uh, Bitcoin open blockchain meetup, Bob, in Chicago, which is kind of the uh, less technical, more social group. And then I run Chicago BitDevs. Um, if anybody's listening in the Chicago area, we just uh, got that started again in person um, at a bar in Chicago. So, uh, you know, come socialize, talk Bitcoin technical talk like DLCs and Lightning. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to bring uh, that community that is so great down here in Austin uh, to Chicago and uh, kind of get that jump started. Still up by Loyola? It's, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's not at Loyola, but it is in the area. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Up there. That's a good spot. Um, right. I mean, you mentioned it to talk about DLCs, Lightning. Let's start with DLCs. I mean, that's why we're, we're here. We've been DMing last week. I actually reached out to you because, uh, obviously, the 
past episodes that we've done, we've talked a lot about point time lock contracts. Mm-hmm. AJ Towns came out with a, a proposal to do um, point time lock contracts uh, and combine them with Taproot in a unique way. I'm too dumb to actually understand what what he's trying to do there. So I, I reached out to you. I was like, what do you think of this? Yeah, it's a, so I mean, first off, like I wanted to highlight the various like kind of um, Lego pieces that uh, were in play here to get this done. And I think it's um, such a great example of all of this research that's gone on in Bitcoin over the last three or four years, kind of com- coming to this culmination and really, uh, you know, enhancing the Lightning Network. Um, you know, cited in AJ Towns' post on the Lightning Dev mailing list is uh, you have Lloyd Fournier, who um, came up there with, with this revocable signatures idea. He's a developer in Austin. There's Andrew Polstra, who uh, is kind of the pioneer of adapter signatures, which we use in DLCs as well. He cited in there, there's some other Blockstream guys around Moosig2, uh, which um, Jonas Nickler, um, Tim Ruffing, and then I think the last guy is, I'm going to forget his name. Sorry. I think it's Giannis, but uh, you guys should go check out the paper. He's an author on it. And, uh, you know, this is, you know, research that's been going on the last like couple of years and AJ kind of put this, all these various pieces together to uh, make this very um, compelling proposal to enhance the Lightning Network with PTLCs. Like his goal with this is to um, kind of reduce some, or sand off some of the rough edges of Lightning, um, such as like constantly having to keep around all these like revoked secrets. So you have this ever growing, um, secret set that you need to keep track of at all times and then also um, you can non-interactively forward htlcs in this proposal as well so um, traditionally lightning is a very interactive uh, protocol so that means if i want to make a payment i got to go query my peer and then they got to send me a message back and then i got to send them a message back and then they got to send me a message back so that's a lot of like kind of round trips and latency that's incurred to make these payments. Uh, part of AJ's proposal is to make it so that you can just forward it and you don't have to ask me uh, to get permission to forward this thing. So we can start making this uh, th- this payment latency lower so that, you know, things like on, to- say if you're, you know, doing things over Tor where you can incur a lot of latency going over the Tor network, um, that starts to make that like user experience a little bit easier and uh, more reliable as well. There's some other um, things that he's, you know, saying, uh, touting in, in the, the Lightning Dev mailing list post. Uh, I'm still uh, digesting it, frankly. So um, some of the, you know, Maybe I'm saying something wrong here, but it's an iterative process to understand these things and, uh, you know, also see how it would be deployed into, you know, the live lightning network that does have a lot of uh, changes. So um, it changes kind of like the transaction structures. It uh, adds another layer of transactions. Uh, I was talking with somebody that knows about Musig2 last night at Austin Bit Devs, and he said, like, you know, we're probably at a coin flip for that actually being included in the LibSec P repo by the end of the year, which was a pretty good answer to me. I was kind of surprised that he was that optimistic about getting Musig2, like, kind of officially supported. Uh, so that's, you know, two or three months from now. So we can, you know, hopefully start having some of the Lightning projects try this out and implement it. Mm-hmm. And for any of the freaks out there who may be unaware, Musig and Musig2 specifically, it's uh, basically a library that helps you 
create scripts better, correct? Or? It, it combines like public keys so that you can take like, uh, you know, a couple public keys, combine them into one public key. And then you can also build one signature that corresponds to that aggregate public key so that um, you get these like nice, you know, traditionally in Bitcoin, you it, it's very easy to tell when you're doing multi-sig schemes and uh, Musig2 makes it more uh, private and it also makes it more space efficient. So I, I meant to start the conversation with this because I assume, you know, since number go up, you probably have a lot of new listeners that are just stepping into the water and learning about Bitcoin. And I'm sorry for, you know, breaking out the technical jargon and uh, confusing you so fast. Hopefully it's not super intimidating. Um, you know, I'm more than happy to help answer questions or help people understand uh, the Bitcoin development community and um, get, you, get you started on your, uh, you know, kind of Bitcoin developer journey. Um, but, you know, yeah, just, you know, try and uh, eat this, uh, eat, eat the, what is it, the whale, like one bite at a time, because it, it takes a long time to understand this stuff. And it's okay not to know it and uh, think somebody like me is just throwing out, uh, you know, all the buzzwords and jargon and whatever. And if you're confused, that's okay. Um, you know, the community is very nice and open and uh, ask questions. We want to see the Bitcoin developer community grow and uh, have you guys come up with the next new idea. Like all these people I just cited, you know, Lloyd, Jonas, Polstra, um, like these are all, you know, Bitcoin developers that have been around a while. But, you know, we want new developers to come in with their new ideas and perspectives and enhance Bitcoin in your own, like, you know, unique way or come up with your, you know, unique ideas. So, um, you know, I, I really care about growing that community because that's one of kind of the bedrocks of Bitcoin along with the energy component, I think, is like making sure we have enough, um, you know, brain power, brain horsepower in the space along with kind of like the robustness of the network itself. Yeah. No, and I, I completely co-sign that message. I mean, it's, I think it's an especially... Uh, timely message considering uh, Jonas Schnelli stepping down yeah. and citing a bit of uh, fatigue, I guess you could say, or he's yeah. been doing it for quite some time. The, the concept and the reality of, of developers working on this, and it's a very tedious process, especially if you're working at the protocol level. When things happen extremely slowly. You can get burned out pretty quickly. Yeah. And I mean, also just uh, going to Jonas's point on the tweet, it was like, you know, maybe you should maybe consider joining under a pseudonym. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's multiple reasons for that. So I have a friend in Australia who's a Bitcoin core maintainer that gets to have the joy of being sued by Craig Wright, the fraud. And he has to go through all the legal proceedings, pay the legal bills and deal with that when he just wants to write code. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, where Bitcoin, I guess, is these days. Another, you know, very prolific uh, CTO in the space, um, he got swatted in 2017. And mm -hmm. for those that don't know what swatting is, it means somebody finds your home address, says you're like holding a gun against your wife's head or something like that, and tells the police to get there as soon as possible. And uh, does anybody want to go through that? Like, I mean, God, no, that's terrible. That's frightening. Um you know, it just takes one person to make a, you know, a snap judgment in the wrong direction and, you, you know, maybe physically harmed here. So there is, um, you know, there, there is some merit to at least starting under a pseudonym. And if you want to, you know, reveal your identity later, you can always do that. But it's hard to go the opposite direction of, you know, having a big identity in the space and then uh, going pseudonymous again. So yeah, take, 
you know, think about that if you're joining the community. I don't mean to like scare you off from being a Bitcoin developer or anything like that, but you know, it, it's okay to start contributing pseudonymously if uh, you you want to, and uh, you also can, frankly, ask really you know questions that you think are dumb and not have that uh, uh you know have the the dumb uh, reputation associated with you. And uh, you know, I la asked Peter Wola a lot of dumb questions in uh, the 2015 2016 timeframe, and he was very gracious and answered. All of my dumb questions, uh, which is why I, you know, I, I think very highly of Peter. But um, th th there's also that element to it. Yeah, yeah. It's <sighs> no. I said this last night. The live rabbit hole recap. It's just like it's so frustrating that you had the Craig Wrights of the world doing this stuff, but then like too, like we're working on this this protocol, Bitcoin, that that extends natural rights in the digital age it's the the greatest extension of natural rights since the the bill of rights it protects private property and autonomy better than any technology are arguably that exists on the planet today and it, there are developers that are doing the hard work and putting it in um feel afraid for doing that uh, they, they feel afraid of being attacked by scammers and attacked by the state. And it's like, holy crap, like what is the state of the world if we're afraid to build out a technology that extends freedom? Like it's, I think that little, this sort of theme should highlight that, that things have gone a bit awry in, in today's day and age where you have to be afraid to fight for freedom. And I, I'm just realizing this, um, going back to AJ Towns' blog post, uh, a huge person that I forgot to cite is uh, one of the most prolific pseudonymous developers in Bitcoin. Z-Man. Z-Man, Z-M-N-S-C-P-X-J. Uh, me and Nadav uh, have said that back and forth a lot over the years. And uh, he's a, you know, brilliant brilliant person uh, whoever you know whoever it is wherever he's at is one of the most active contributors on the lightning dev mailing list he contributes to see lightning and it just really goes to show again for all all you newcomers out there if you have this like you know technical developer skill set it's okay to contribute pseudonymously nobody blinks an eye at that and maybe there is some upside to uh, contributing pseudonymously uh, like z-man and he is you know just a rock star i don't think anybody's gonna yeah he's just a rock star straight up <laughs> that man is uh so damn productive it's uh you know you also start working with some of these people in the space and you're like god damn like you've got some freaking mental horsepower under the hood that i was not gifted with thanks grandma janice <laughs> <laughs> well uh you feel that way and then uh uh I just imagine how I feel sitting behind this mic talking, like talking to you. I'm like, oh fuck, I'm dumb. Like, it's like, yeah. And then hearing people like Peter Wola, like and Andrew Polsher talk about this stuff. Matt, it's like, holy shit! Like I, I can't even imagine yeah. what it's like in your brain. Well, and then this just again goes going back to the town's proposal or discrete law contracts themselves as well. It's like you know we're standing on the shoulders of giants here. There's been a ton of work done over the years. Um, with discrete log contracts, for instance, you know, this is a paper that uh, MIT researcher named Taj Dryja came out with in 2017, 2018, somewhere in that time frame. You know, we've really taken and run with his idea in his initial paper and, you know, are trying to industrialize this and bring it to the main.
mainstream so that you know we can have some of the functionality that we see on other blockchains on top of bitcoin and people don't have to you know result to using altcoins to do some of this uh, functionality that they like seeing on other chains yeah and that's what you dedicated your company to essentially right these discrete yeah. log contracts um DLCs are discrete log contracts are an open uh, specification now. You guys can find it on GitHub, uh, github.com slash discrete log contracts, uh, then slash DLC specs. Um, just like how most things in Bitcoin happen, you know, they community members get together and try and start standardizing an open source specification. Um, Lightning had this exact same process in the 2016 time frame where you know various developers from various companies started getting together thinking we got to solve this payments problem and we need some way to scale bitcoin and how do we do this in a way that's um, open to any you know wallet provider to integrate in the entire world and uh, they've now come up with the lightning rfcs which you know we're seeing tremendous growth on these days and seeing a very vibrant developer community um, you know, DLCs are, we're, we're trying to model that, you know, same open source community. We have, you know, contributors uh, from Australia, Japan, Europe, uh, you know, here in America. And, uh, you know, we're, we're really, I, I'd say we're, you know, in that 2017 timeframe of where Lightning's at. We're starting to get out of the low level technical specification stuff and starting to get more user facing and one of the things that we just released is uh, our 1.8 release of our dlc wallet um that you know bakes in some of these features so you know, we're trying to get more customer facing and allow um, users to start tinkering with this stuff so we can understand you know what are the use cases that you want solved out of dlcs and really you know scratch that itch in the community so that we can you know, do some of this stuff on Bitcoin. You know, I, I'm of the opinion that uh, we want to steal all the good ideas that happen on other blockchains and ditch all the bad ones. So we want to steal their lunch when it's a good idea. And if they do something crazy that's idiotic, like, well, guess what? They get to blow up their own blockchain. But we want to be the blockchain that succeeds over the next hundred years. And I don't think, you know, we have a monopoly on good ideas here in Bitcoin. So I want to make sure that we keep an open mind and fairly um, look at things that are happening elsewhere and think like, is this something that's first off not parasitic to Bitcoin? Because if it's parasitic and will cause it to fail over the long term, we don't want it. We want Bitcoin to be money forever. But if it isn't like, and we can do it in a way that's safe to do on Bitcoin, uh, let's bring it over here and kill these other altcoins. And like, mm -hmm. say like Bitcoin's the one true, uh, you know, cryptocurrency and, uh, you know, make number go up even more. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And you've uh, very much sold me on these ideas over the course of our conversations over the course of the many years we've been talking about this stuff and for anybody who's listened to all those conversations i'm very happy to be speaking now because as you mentioned you just released the new wallet we have taproot getting activated in the next few weeks here uh you have aj's proposal uh, combining taproot and ptlcs and like you said so you have uh, the open source standard that you're trying to create for dlcs Lightning has an open source standard. Bitcoin has an open source standard. And the discrete log contract future that you envision combines a little bit of everything. Correct? Yeah. Well, so, um, you know, basic 101s of DLCs is it's a way to do bets non-custodially directly on top of the Bitcoin blockchain with an oracle. And uh, what an oracle means here is you are 
absolutely trusting a third party to attest to what's happening in the real world. The example that I usually give for, you know, the, the new listeners in the community is, um, you know, say you wanted to bet on the election last year between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, and you didn't want to deposit your Bitcoin into some shady gambling site somewhere where you're worried about your coins getting, uh, you know, stolen from you. Um, we can do this with Bitcoin if you are willing to trust an oracle to attest to who won the election. Um, so, you know, the parts of the DLC spec are the oracle component, which is very, very important, and uh, you need to put trust in this person. But then if you are willing to trust that person, we can do a bunch of other stuff uh, in a non-custodial fashion that allows you to represent these bets with Bitcoin transactions, and you get all the nice properties of Bitcoin transactions where you know where your money is all the time. You know somebody can't go and steal your money from the exchange's hot wallet or something like that. You also get great privacy benefits. Yeah, the Oracle, for instance, doesn't even know that you're using them. So um, they they also don't have an incentive to steal from you there. Uh, you know, One of the other things about DLCs with the Oracle is... Uh, the Oracle is a very global thing. Um, you should use an Oracle that's used by a lot of people. And one of the cryptographic tricks we use with DLCs is that if an Oracle does what we call equivocation, so like what that just means is like they say Joe Biden and Donald Trump won the election, uh, they reveal their private keys. So if they lie, they have to be consistent with their lie. So they can't tell you know, user A that, Trump won and user B that Biden won and user C that, you know, I don't know, uh, whoever the libertarian candidate was this year won. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's also a nice property. So it's like an all or nothing lie is how you should think about it. And again, still there is trust there, but there is, you know, kind of nice properties around that trust where everybody gets screwed or nobody gets screwed. <clears throat> they can't play funny games of like you get screwed, you don't and pick it and play, you know, favorites. And I think you can go even further, right? You don't have to use one Oracle, which is something I uh, very much like because I think that even distributes, not, not distributes risk, but mitigates risk uh, a bit more. You, you'd have to have m multiple Oracles dying yeah. at the same time. Yeah, and this is, you know, we, we did a demo with um, Pierre Richard, Bitfinex, and uh, we were one of the Oracles too in this demo where we had the oracles attest to the market price of bitcoin on various exchanges so pierre richard attested to the the kraken bitcoin price bitfinex attested to their own exchanges bitcoin price and then i think we looked at coinbase or something like that and uh it works kind of like a two of three multi-sig where if the you know bitfinex and kraken both agree that you know bitcoin price is you know 20k or whatever um, that's the price that gets used for execution of the DLC. However, if, um, let's say, you know, Kraken said Bitcoin was $0 and Bitfinex told the truth and said it was $20,000 and we lied that, uh, you know, and said it was $100,000, in that failure scenario, um, the DLCs have a refund clause built in. And that just means since the oracles couldn't come to consensus about what the Bitcoin price is, you get your money back. And that's just kind of like a, you know, what a, that, that's the best you can do in those scenarios if the oracles are um, misbehaving. Yes. And 
there's other aspects to this too, right? Like the oracles don't even know that you're using them, right? Yep. They just pro- provide a hash testing to a certain event and you just take that hash and put it inside your DLC. Correct? Yeah, it's it's not quite a hash, um, but uh, you can... I told uh, you I'm dumb. You can think of it like, it, it's so, what's really cool is like, it's kind of some of the same stuff that AJ Towns is proposing with the PTLC stuff on Lightning and we're in the middle of investigating how DLCs can be brought up to Lightning with this PTLC proposal AJ has. And like, is there any slight tweaks we can propose to him to get DLCs working on Lightning as well? Um, not not just on the base level blockchain. Um, but yeah, so like what, what happens is like they, they use these things called adapter signatures, called, you know, created by Andrew Polstra and uh, the Oracle gives you what's essentially a public key. You encrypt your Bitcoin transactions with this public key, and then they reveal the private key behind that public key at a later date and time, which allows you to decrypt one of those Bitcoin transactions representing an outcome. So it could decrypt the transaction that says Joe Biden wins, or it could decrypt the transaction that says Donald Trump wins. And that's really what the purpose the Oracle serves here. the privacy benefits are amazing. It's it's really private uh, in the sense that uh, you know the Oracle doesn't have to know you're using them, and all they have to do is just reveal this secret and go away at the end of the day. Yeah, so they don't even know what the potential honeypot is. So that reduces, I guess, the possibility that they would even attempt an attack because it's like, how much is this attack going to pay off? I don't know, right? Because they yeah. can't tell if people are using DLCs well, in the correct way, how big the honeypot is. They could be counterparties to people in DLCs, and that's okay. something you got to, you know, worry about. Like, say if they, uh, you know, always took the other side of some trade. Like, okay. they are big believers that Joe Biden's always going to win the election or something, and then they could just have all the people that think Trump's going to win come take the opposite side of them, and then they can just lie. Um, that, 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 is, that is a risk. You need a lot of capital to do that. Mm-hmm. But... It's theoretically possible, I guess. I don't know if we'll see it in practice, but um, the other, you know, kind of honey. So you mentioned honey pots there, and this is like where we're starting to think about a lot in DLC world. Is uh, so if you think about this, you know, you you uh, you've used this phrase before, PEMDAS, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, order of operations. Like how do we how do we build these the Bitcoin tech stack in a way that you know makes sense, and you can have like lower layers of the stack used by up multiple you know layers above it in an efficient way and uh, the problem that we're kind of solving with dlcs now is kind of like the settlement and clearing and you know being able to represent financial terms and conditions you know with bitcoin transactions so you know back to who who won the election or you know what the bitcoin price is what we haven't solved at all yet is market structure like where do buyers and sellers of DLCs go to meet. And uh, that's something, you know, in Ethereum land, you have a smart contract on chain that is the market. And then it also does, you know, the printing of, you know, sending money out of the contract, depending upon, you know, whatever the state of the contract is. Um, we can do that last part with DLCs, but there is no market right now where you can go find somebody to trade against. And uh, that's, you know, kind of the next big problem to solve in like kind of the Bitcoin community is like, how can we bring censorship resistant financial markets over to Bitcoin as well? 
Um, Ethereum, at the end of the day, is kind of what they have is censorship-resistant financial markets. If you um, you may not like like what they trade on the censorship-resistant financial markets, but that is the kind of fundamental premise of it, and I, I think that's a problem worth trying to solve. And that's like kind of the you know the the most uh, free market uh, you can get to at the end of the day, and you know, whether that uh, means you have to do something for you know, maybe deposit your funds into a centralized exchange for a little bit, and then they print a Bitcoin transaction from their matching engine, or, you know, people f gather together on IRC to match these DLCs. It's still an open question, but that's, you know, a very big problem to solve and one that's worth uh, trying to solve, I think, at the end of the day. Yeah, like uh, going back to the election example, the Atomic Finance team, uh, Matthew and Tony, um, they had election bets on their platform and the way you created that market is you basically publicized hey who wants to take the other side of this yeah. bet with me um, which isn't very efficient at scale yeah um you know speaking of the atomic finance team like talk about you know a team that has uh you know deployed an application using dlcs into the wild uh they are you know what one thing that they've got as a piece of feedback is the ability to kind of close out of these positions early so uh Let's say you have like, you know, an option that's open till January 1st, 2022, so the next two months. And then you're like, ah, well, you know, Bitcoin's number go up, like I'm going to lose money on this and I want to cut my losses early and, uh, you know, use that capital elsewhere. Like that's one feature that they've been working on very hard is to allow that ability for users to trade out of their DLCs once they're into it. And also just having like nice functionality around um, like automatically reinvesting funds into uh, a new DLC, like rolling it every, uh, you know, interval of time. Like maybe you always want to be in the, uh, the front month forward contract for, you know, whatever financial product you're interested in. So like trying to, uh, you know, make those quality of life improvements above the kind of core DLC protocol into the application layer and make it usable to end users is something they've been working hard on. And, uh, you know, I, I think they still have their uh, wait list out there on their site and they're, you know, slowly letting people in as they get more comfortable with, uh, you know, the platform and their, you know, various software stacks and making sure that, you know, nothing goes wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, it's a fascinating space right now. It seems like some kinks are being worked out, but this market matching problem or the, the uh, not market matching really. Like, uh, no, yeah. Where do, where where do buyers and sellers meet yeah. to get into a deal? Like we have the problem solved of like once they meet and agree they want to trade something, like we've got from there on out mm -hmm. solved. Assuming they're willing to trust whatever the oracle is. However, uh, you know, where do they, what platform do they go to buy and sell, uh, you know, DLCs? Is there, you know, regulate re regulatory implications? Um, that's what, you know, I think maybe ETH DeFi has a little bit of a regulatory advantage on Bitcoin right now in that sense where no, who hosts the Ethereum DeFi markets? You can say the front ends are hosted by Uniswap servers mm -hmm. and like their legal team thinks that too. So they've, you know, started censoring various things that are traded on Uniswap. Um, however, the underlying protocol, as far as I know, um, hasn't delisted these markets, and I don't even know if that's possible. So you can like definitely cut the most of the head off the snake, I guess, because most people just go through the dumb web UI that's easy. But you can't like fully stop the market. And that's why I call it a censorship-resistant financial market. And uh, 
I think, uh, yeah, that, that, that is a problem that, you know, we as Bitcoiners should care about solving. Um, I don't think we should do it in a way that's like parasitic to Bitcoin, like we kind of see in the ETH DeFi ecosystem. But um, if we can come up with a solution that's well thought out, like that's a, you know, that's a, that's a big market and that's going to only enhance Bitcoin's value over the long term and uh, make it more censorship resistant, you know, robust and have more people depend on Bitcoin too. Yeah. And so completely agree. These markets on Ethereum are something we probably do want to Bitcoin at some point, uh, especially the distributed nature of it, but they made the trade-off, right? They have that, but the trade-off is it's very data intensive. Yeah. So full node centralization yes. uh, exists within that, uh, within that particular project. And so what are the best solutions or ideas to bring this to the Bitcoin stack, the, these market matching mechanisms? Uh, uh, I, are there any out there? I don't know if I have good answers here. Um, so something that I haven't tried out yet and then I need to is I believe it's called BitMatrix who does a solution to this on Liquid. Um, That's actually, for some reason, my mind was like, does Liquid fix this in some way? Like, yeah, possibly. I, I haven't tried it out yet, so um, I can't speak intelligently about that. You have um, models like Join Market to look at. You know, what they're mm -hmm. fundamentally doing is, you know, what they're trading really is privacy. That's what people care about there. But you know, fundamentally, what's going on is they're building Bitcoin transactions collaboratively, just for the you know purpose of gaining privacy rather than entering into some sort of financial application they care about. Same with Wasabi, right? Like they just care about building these coin joins to you know enhance users' privacy. However, the kind of core machinery, when you think about it, is like all they're doing is building Bitcoin transactions and. We can, you know, instead of build Bitcoin transactions for privacy, we just build it using, you know, for, for this financial application that people care about. And with join markets specifically, there's been a lot of encouraging developments there, like getting uh, getting it included in Umbral, which is yeah. becoming a very uh, popular node package. Absolutely. Um, stuff like that. So it does seem like they're, like, if you can create a stack or an operating system that allows you to easily access these uh, these softwares that, that you can then go make larger markets between users that all have that downloaded. Yeah, and just like so future plans for us, we released Crystal Bowl on Umbrel. Um, what Crystal Bowl is, is just the Oracle part of DLCs. So you can, you know, become an Oracle for who's winning the election or become an Oracle for what the Bitcoin price is. Um, you can do that today on Umbrella. We released that, I think, last week or two weeks ago. The next, you know, big project for us internally is porting the wallet, which is like a desktop wallet from 2005, basically, um, into Umbrella. So people can do DLCs from their nice, you know, Umbrella user interface and not have to, you know, go through all this setup process around your full node or syncing or blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's, it's an arduous process. And like for people that are, you know, new to the space, um, you should definitely should do this stuff. But, you know, a lot of work has been done over the last couple of years to make that easier and make it more accessible to end users and umbrellas, you know, an incar, you know, great incarnation of that. And which is why we really want to deploy the DLC wallet to Umbrel so that people can get that nice one click install user experience. It can connect to their Bitcoin D node behind the scenes. And then before you know it, you're off and rolling with DLCs rather than kind of the more uh, involved process that we have at the moment. 
And if you think about it, that's probably like the way in which you want this stuff to be adopted, right? Absolutely. Like forcing people to download full nodes and then basically communicate from full You're hosting to full your own node. stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's like the self-sovereign stack um, yeah. is, you know, what they're doing. I, you know, I, I wonder if Raspberry Pis will, you know, be have enough computing resources to do it over the long term. But um, I, you know, I think their, their platform, it's kind of like a Bitcoin platform, can be deployed to various, you know, a laptop or whatever as well. And uh, um, I, I think what they're doing is really cool. Yeah, yeah. There's there's many others like them. You have Start9 out yep. there. You have uh, MyNode. Um, Raspi Blitz. Raspi Blitz. I mean, you have the the Ronin Dojo Samurai, which is a bit different, more focused on privacy. But there's these, these. I don't know, are they Node packages? Are they? Yeah, I... I, 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 I I don't know what the best name is for that. Um, I call it like Bitcoin platforms or yeah. something. I I don't know if any I've heard it called known to box I, for whatever reason. I, I don't like that as much. I, I think they are like kind of like these Bitcoin platforms that provide these like very core pieces of infrastructure and do it in a very well way, which is, you know, the Bitcoin full node. And then that allows applications like ourselves to um, behind the scenes just work our magic and have the user just you know fly out of the gate ready to go rather than um, having to have a little bit of delayed gratification to uh, you know use the application and that's always like the problem for being a developer for um, you know self custodial systems is you got to do the work uh, to make sure you you have all this stuff set up yeah it's not easy it's not easy it's going to take time that's why I urge patience here yeah. Do you think we're being too patient? Do you think, uh, what do you, how are you liking the pace of the development right now? Um, well, I mean, with like, <laughs> it's good now. Like, you know, Taproot's going to be activated. We got some exciting stuff in DLC world going on. Um, you know, I think Bitcoin development is starting to pick back up again. Um, but, you know, we got to get the products in the hand of users at the end of the day and find these killer use cases. Like, one thing, you know, I was talking with a buddy of mine uh, that works at Unchained last night. And, you know, talking about the fee stuff, like it's like, well, Ethereum has high fees, Bitcoin has low fees. We'd really, I think both communities want these things inverted. Like I want Bitcoin <laughs> to have high fees and I think they want low fees. And like, you know, what what is going to be the, the, the driver for demand for block space over the very long term? Like maybe we just have number go up and, you know, adoption occurs. But, um, you know, when you start really thinking about, this is speculation for what it's worth, but, um, start really thinking about you know what was taking up a lot of block space in the 2017 time frame like well like people were making bitcoin transactions a lot of uh you know stable coin transactions were happening to our between exchanges as well there was also a spam attack like a dust spam attack yeah going on as there, well. there, there was that as well um but you know the stable coin stuff is kind of dead like you know it's moved away to other blockchains so mm -hmm. we just have you know our kind of core bitcoin transactions at the end of the day our scaling solutions seem to be working great. You know, Lightning is really coming along. It's becoming easier to use every day, which is wonderful. We have, you know, these developments in the pipeline, like, you know, signature ag aggregation to make uh, even uh, less use of block space. And then, you know, we come back to uh, one of our favorite Bitcoin developers, Luke-JR, <laughs> who may have been right all along about lowering the block size yeah. to 300 kilobytes. And for the newbies in the space, um, Luke is an interesting guy and a very prolific Bitcoin core developer, like one of the one of the elite of the elite. And uh, during the block wars of 2016, 2017, 
he always said, we got to lower the block size, got to lower the block size, got to lower the block size to 300 kilobytes. And everybody looked at him like he had a third eye on his head. Cause like at the time, like, it's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, well, he did have a third eye. Make. He saw this shit. He was like, yeah. And like <laughs> now over the long term, it's like, God damn it. Like, was he right? Like he's a, you know, sly as a fox, if that's the case. And I'm not like advocating for that either, but that would be just so ironic if that does end up happening, um, that we need to lower the blocks size, uh, you know, again, this is like a decades probably problem, frankly, but, um, it would be just like this ultimate irony if he ends up being right at the day and just vilified so much at the time. I think it could be. I also think it cannot be. I'm not as worried about all this as many developers are. Maybe that's just cause I'm an imbecile, but uh, I think again, considering where Bitcoin adoption is right now, and if Bitcoin's successful, where it will be. Um, obviously, you're going to have demand for UTXOs and therefore transactions and therefore fees. And then beyond that, again, I've, I've always, and again, this was an idea incepted into my brain by Pierre Rochard, who we've mentioned previously in this conversation, that you can apply Jevons' paradox to Bitcoin UTXOs. And as UTXOs become more efficient and utility gets added to them, and the paradox is that you'd think that you'd use less of them, but you're only going to use more. So yeah. it's things like Taproot. DLCs, for instance, DLC. on-chain. Like, hopefully we start getting, you know, producing demand for Bitcoin transactions on-chain with DLCs. It's a new use case, a new thing we can do, and let's see, uh, you know, how much demand we can stir up for them. Yeah, and it's just, like, again, again, urge patience. Yeah. It's a multi-multi-century project Absolutely. where it's like, we, I feel like... Especially if you've been in it for a long time, oh, yeah. it's just like always like why don't why doesn't everybody use Bitcoin? Like it's like yeah. we're, we're well, almost thirteen years in. We're shit. We're what ten nine days away from the thirteenth anniversary of the uh, white paper being launched. Um, and uh, it's like I'm very content with the state of Bitcoin, the state of development community, the state of the the social acceptance of the network like we're still in the early monetization phase and love it or hate it people just don't want number one want to use their bitcoin number two know how to use it in the ways uh, in which you're describing and in the the products that you're building yeah and yeah we've got a long ways to go for you know normies being able to do dlc stuff in a like a nice streamlined ui Um, atomic finance has done a pretty good job uh frankly but uh you know it it also just takes education and uh getting people comfortable with the trade-offs and uh you know also making sure i mean maybe it's something that people don't want to do at the end of the day too is like like you said maybe they just want to hodl their coins and not like speculate on something or you know put their capital to work to gain yield like maybe they're like bitcoins has enough like kind of upside to it still that i don't want to screw that up by you know betting in the mid midterm or trying to earn yield in the short term which you know i i think it's a fair uh i think that's a reasonable point of view to have yeah and going back to the usability of this, I, th- I do want to talk about the the wild upgrade because you guys mentioned it last night um, at BitDevs. I feel comfortable saying this because Ben was on stage and, and so I can mention him. And uh, so basically have the messaging between users yes. much easier now, correct? Yes. So um, for uh, people out there that have done like opening a lightning channel, uh, beginning a DLC now is a lot like opening a lightning channel. Instead of, uh, you know, getting a, a user's, like, node ID, you get what's called an offer. 
and uh, their Tor address. And what the, the Tor address is where you go connect to this person's wallet. Uh, the offer, the DLC offer is the piece of information that contains all of the stuff about the Oracle that you're using, the uh, details about the bet that you're doing. Like, you know, I get 100,000 sats if Biden wins, you get 100,000 sats if Trump wins, or you have some sort of, you know, numeric payout based on some sort of crazy financial engineering that you're doing. And uh, then after having that piece, you, you send it over to your counterparty. They review the terms and conditions, making sure that like, uh, you know, the bet's not crazy or I'm cool, uh, you know, with uh, this bet. And then behind the scenes, the wallet will take care of the rest. Like that's all that needs to be done. And uh, you're in your DLC and you just need to wait for the Oracle to uh, reveal their secret, uh, you know, after the event occurs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's uh, so again. It's and uh, just uh, another thing we've put out. Uh, YouTube videos for for both Crystal Bowl on Umbrella, like I was mentioning earlier, you get to listen to my voice some more narrating those videos. It's very great. It's a great, very great podcasting voice. I will say that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then we also did one for the wallet as well, showing you how to like walk through setting up a DLC with like the wallet in its current state. So if you uh, you know want to make this a little less abstract without. Uh, you know, actually diving in and downloading the wallet and, you know, putting some sats in yourself. Like, check out those YouTube videos because that's a, hopefully, a, you know, it's intended to be a way that's to make it more accessible to people that don't want to quite go head in, but just want to, like, learn, like, this is what the technology looks like and this is kind of, um, you know, what DLCs enable. Yeah, and beyond that, and go check out the YouTube videos and go check out the Short Bits blog. I mean, it's just a wealth of information pertaining to discrete log contracts, uh, the difference between HDLCs, PTLCs, yeah. and uh, the multi-Oracle setup that you can have, that, that scenario which you describe between you and Nadav, yeah. Pierre, and Bitfinex, or Roman, Pierre, Bit, Bitfinex, and... Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I think it was Roman, Pierre, and Bitfinex, and uh, um, it, it describes the multi-Oracle setup very well. Um, and so, like, uh, you know, with the multi-Oracle stuff, like, we want to get as many high-quality Oracles out there in the community as possible. Like, somebody that was tweeting about DLCs this past week is Clark Moody, who runs this awesome dashboard service and he was asking like oh how do i get like the oracle dlc oracles integrated into my dashboard and he'd be such a great oracle for the community and uh you know trustworthy guy he has reputation built up and uh you know it once we get more oracles out there you can start to you know do these multi-oracle situ situations where like i want to use clark's oracle i want to use chris's oracle and then i want to use marty's oracle and then if he, one of them you know, either screws up because of, you know, technical malfeasance, like just like, you know, incompetence, or they just try to be malicious. Um, I still can fall back to the other two people to mm -hmm. get my contract settled at the end of the day. So you have, a, you know, the multi-Oracle stuff is intended to eliminate this single point of failure that the Oracle is. There's still trust. Uh, you know, I want to say it again and again, you're trusting the Oracles, but, you know, we have built tools to start mitigating some of this trust so it's not just in a single person but it can be in multiple entities and I, I, again i think that trade-off and that the ability to have those multiple oracles is a worth a worthy one it's one i'm willing to make as a user um <laughs> hand up Due to my conversations with you, I've always realized like you're going to have to trust oracles. There's some people out there who who's, who try to 
paint me as as somebody who was uh, bashing Ethereum smart contracts because of uh, oracles and yeah. I'm happy with it on Bitcoin. A complete mischaracterization. Thank God I've uh, been able to have conversations with you throughout the years, and you've educated me. Like the, the oracle problem is always going to be there. It's just like yeah. how do you how do you diminish the risk? Like as how much do you as hold ac- oracles accountable for malfeasance? Is really. Um, I think maybe a more productive, practical, uh, you know, problem to try and solve. And like, you know, another product that we have out there is what we call our Oracle Explorer. So um, you can post your Oracle to the Oracle Explorer. Um, we would track Oracle identities over the long term. If you know, you don't have to post it, but if you do choose to, um, we plan on tracking Oracle's you know identities over the long term following their attestations and making sure like you know building like a rating system at the end of the day because these are the people we need to hold accountable in this space is like this is you know the people we're trusting so for anybody that you're trusting you need to have a mechanism to hold them accountable and the oracle explorer is meant to be a tool to do that and track these oracle identities over the long term and understand hey this oracle's attested 10,000 times, never lied once and always does it on a timely fashion like i can probably reasonably trust that person Whereas an Oracle that showed up yesterday that doesn't have any identity behind it and uh, has no reputation, like should probably be a little, you know, you probably shouldn't put a lot of Bitcoin in a DLC that's dependent upon that Oracle. And uh, just, you know, for everybody else out there, like we don't have a monopoly on Oracle Explorers. We want to have as many Oracle Explorers as possible, just like there's many block explorers that tell you, you know, what the latest Bitcoin block is. Uh, you know, we, we want to have as many po- as possible, have different rating systems built in, whatever the popular platform is. But we do need mechanisms to hold these oracles accountable because they are these trusted parties. And that's tooling that, you know, I want to make sure that the community builds. Yeah, and this is bringing to fruition something that has been a cypherpunk dream for, for decades, the, the idea of reputation markets. Yeah. And it's coming. And uh, one thing you said there is like maybe a newer oracle you don't, I uh, want to trust right away, but maybe that's how, like, just send a thought into my idea. Like, if you're going to be a new Oracle, maybe a way you develop trust is by trying to get into multi-Oracle quorums and just maybe they'll trust yeah. uh, more respected Oracles yeah, over absolutely. you first. But then you know, over time, like, in these in these multi-Oracle setups, you attest the, the same data that other Oracles are. That, yeah. Is that a way to build trust? A- absolutely. And it's just, you know, building a track record over the long term is, you know, something we want to... You know, we want to provide the tooling so that DLC users can see information about this Oracle's history and uh, understand, like, you know, maybe they are going for some grand rug pull at the end of the day. And that's always going to be a possibility. But, you know, with the multi-Oracle solutions and, you know, tracking reputation, it does start to mitigate some of that risk. And, you know, you're never going to get rid of it completely. And, you know, go back to you're trusting these oracles at the end of the day. It's still true. But we can build tooling to make you feel a little bit more comfortable about it. And I would imagine the multi-oracle setup would just be the preferred setup and probably the the way in which users always interact with DLCs. Like, you can, like, single points of failure, like using yeah. one oracle in a DLC setup. Like, I, like if I were to when I engage in DLCs, I think me personally, like I would just prefer to yeah. use two or If you're doing two. like 10 bucks, like, okay, whatever. But like, yeah, if you're, if you're doing serious money in a DLC, like you, yeah, you got to worry about that stuff. And I think DLCs can be a tool where you do very large DLCs 
that, you know, sell thousands of Bitcoin? Like, do you want to put your thousand Bitcoin on, you know, the BitMEX of the day? Or would you rather have partial custody of that and trust, you know, these this distribution of oracles? Um, let's say you're in El Salvador, you're, you're Nayib Bukele, and, uh, you know, the, the international finance community doesn't like you as much as, uh, you know, maybe they should. And you want to still hedge risk or do something with your Bitcoin. Like, this is a way to do it. Like, you can do it in a non-custodial way where you can get financial exposure to, you know, whatever the hell the thing is you care about um, without, you know, throwing your funds into, you know, the BitMEX of the day or whoever, you know, whatever the platform is that trades the financial product that you're interested in. Yeah, yeah. And it's... Um that's fascinating stuff, and it feels like it's happening. Do you have a depressed Still retirement? Still good. We, uh, 12, though, is a hard out. Okay, freaks. We, uh, we were successfully able to convince Chris to push his flight back for this recording, so we need to thank you for that. Yeah, no, no problem. It's uh, always fun. I, I was wondering if it's if it's too early to have a glass of whiskey with Marty, and maybe <laughs> that's the case. You got a long day ahead of you. I'm yeah. just sitting on a plane and uh, writing. But uh, I've got another podcast to record. I've got a beef steak. I've got a newsletter to God write. But I'm damn. not ready for whiskey yet. Yeah, I figured you probably had a, quite the podcast lineup this weekend. I was looking around at BitDevs last night. I'm like, God damn, there are there is some talent here. There's some there hitters. Is, uh, yeah, there is some hitters here and. Uh, Austin and the community, man, like I was, uh, I was trying to think about this of, uh, how Austin bit devs got started. And I meant to ask Ben last night if he started it. Um, I, but I, I think Justin moon started it. I was talking mm-hmm. to my friend. Yeah, at Unchained. I believe it was Justin. Yeah. And then maybe Ben moved like, you know, Ben, I think moved in February of 2020 down here to Austin. Maybe he just got on board really quickly and helped, uh, you know, grow it. But man, like, you know, this is comparable to the New York City bit devs of old. I haven't been uh, post COVID and I'd love to go see, um, you know, the or I, I really think highly of the organizer of uh, New York City bet, bit devs. Legend. But, uh, yeah, he is a legend. Um, but, you know, this Austin bit devs community is thriving, man. It is, uh, you know, the, it, it, it's definitely, um, I'd say, you know, kind of a cultural center of like the Bitcoin movement in some ways. And uh, it's just great to see that happening here in Texas, which uh, the statewide kind of culture aligns with it very well. No, I, I completely. And that's part of the reason I moved down there. So I could have in-person interviews again, like the one we're doing right now. I miss them so much. And I think oh, God, yeah. I do think they're much higher quality conversations oh. in person. And I mean, I love, I mean, not to, not to, uh, uh, say the conversations I've been having over Zoom are terrible conversations. You can't replicate in yeah. in person uh, bodily well, language. And well, stuff one like thing, that. like with the mask, that really bothers me is like you can't see people's facial expressions, yeah. and like that, uh, you know, is such a valuable piece of information when you're having these like you know if you're having a conversation at the grocery store where you know chicago we got a mask up pretty much everywhere um you know you can't like see what people are thinking are they smiling at you are they frowning at you like their words are muffled coming out of their mouths like i can't understand what they're saying and uh you know it makes me feel a little bit more disconnected from that person when i can't like you know see like the expressions on their face and like react accordingly that was another thing factored into our decision to move here is my son he's about to be two and that's oh. when they start masking kids at school in the northeast i'm like that's not going to happen um it's it's the shame what's going on with the children right now especially yeah. at that very impressionable ages yeah uh, like they need 
does he under like does he understand any of that stuff or is he is it no, too, he's, too he's early? oblivious yeah yeah um, thank god uh <laughs> and he's starting to, i mean he's starting to become more um aware of of the world of surroundings and how things work but no i think up to this point and we're lucky where we had been living for the year and a half before we moved to Austin. It was a very small island community, and um, people weren't as Are you, are you an island boy? Uh, island boy. <laughs> oh, God. Fiat culture personified. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a... It is catchy, and we'll give... It is very catchy. The shit that the internet, like the, the govern me harder daddy thing. And then the <laughs> island boys, like that is, uh, you know, some of my favorite like internet. I don't know if that's just in the Bitcoin community or if it's like in the white. I always have a tough time telling. I have to ask my my uh, fiance about this of like, OK, have you like heard this stuff? Like, is this outside the Bitcoin community or is this just like my little Bitcoin bubble? That's like, you know, just going back and forth with like the the the, the Jerome Powell, like printer <laughs> stuff like that and i always got to have that like that uh the person to check whether uh you know my cultural references like make sense to anybody else or if it's just you know our our little community uh, well obviously i'm in that little community so i'm picking up what you're putting down yeah. but since you mentioned the island boys is actually uh, i had a thought earlier that i forgot to ask you about but they were they were on the dave portnoy show okay uh or no like one of his podcasts at dave portnoy house and obviously barstool uh, is getting heavily into the gambling yeah. world. And that's actually, so we, we didn't mention it directly, but uh, Eric Wall like called me out and called me a fucking moron because I, I said I people are sleeping on DLCs. He was like, all the Bitcoiners like have always said Ethereum has an Oracle problem. Uh, and now they're like pumped on DLCs, which has the same problem. And I was like, fuck, have I ever talked about like Oracles on DLCs? And I had to go like search from Matt Marty Bent Oracles. And no, it's always been in the context of DLCs. I've never once like uh, derided Ethereum for an Oracle problem. It's always been due to a, a decentralization and name only. Like it's a, it's, yeah. it's a LARP of decentralization. Like again, due to conversations that I've had with you, I understand the Oracle problems is, is one that's not going to go away. You're not going to be able to create decentralized oracles. You're not yeah. going to be able to uh, get away from the fact that you do need to uh, have some trust in that. But doing that Twitter search from at Marty Ben Oracles, uh, a tweet came up from, I believe, two years ago where I'm tweeting at Dave Port and I, like, <laughs> like you need to get into the Oracle game. As somebody oh, yeah. who's running, like who's getting into the sports book game. Like, so do you see that as like a first uh, mover in the Oracle? Uh, I mean, like sports betting in general, like works really well with DLCs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think uh, conversations that I've had in the past with like, you know, people in the sports gambling world is like, you know, they have the exact same problem. It's like, do I want to put a million dollars of my money in some shady like operation somewhere? Or would I rather do something like, you know, do a these non-custodial DLCs on chain where I retain partial custody and can always see where my funds are at any given time. Like I understand I got to trust the Oracle to, you know, attest to the right thing at the end of the day, but you know, these bucket shops that like just pop up and uh, you know, in the middle of the night and seemingly vanish just as quick, um, that is risk. And like, you got to think about that custodial risk when, um, you know, especially doing large sums of money and DLCs kind of like, you know, solve that problem, especially if you're at the higher end of the spectrum of being able to represent, uh, you know, a bet 
with Bitcoin transactions and get all of the nice properties that come along with that, where you know where your money is at any given time and you can follow it. So, I mean, again, at the, the higher end of this you know, spectrum, like DLCs start making a lot of sense. And then at the lower end of the uh, spectrum, you know, if you're doing small bets, that's where we want to go with lightning stuff at the end of the day is have these like, you know, quick instantaneous bets over the lightning network where you can get that nice feedback real quick and um, you know, turn around and do another bet if you want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to happen. It takes coming. time. It's all coming together. I mean, and then like, you know, this is, I said a bit devs last night. It's like, you know, Bitcoin drives the speed limit when like doing innovation. I it's really like, like We don't freaking YOLO and like, you know, risk destroying a trillion dollar market now. Like I, I believe the market cap for Bitcoin is over a trillion dollars. Um, you know, we, who are, who are we as Bitcoin developers to, you know, just possibly destroy that entire, like, you know, monetary censorship resistant money that gladstein so eloquently talks about you know with just you know these you know some sort of like use case that's popular in today's day and age like i think we should watch what happens on other blockchains and think okay that has some legs like maybe we should actually think about trying to solve that problem in bitcoin and then also be like well that didn't go anywhere and thank god we didn't like risk a trillion dollar network on you know the the popular idea of the day so like you know, with Bitcoin developers, like, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to be seen as like anti-innovation and say like, we don't, you know, want to sometimes do things that other blockchains do, but we want to make sure that the risk that we're taking by introducing these new things to Bitcoin can't, you know, end in some sort of black swan event where the entire network, you know, I guess faces harm because, you know, we, we wanted to try the, the popular thing of the day. Yeah, completely. Again patience order of operations do it right or don't do it at all the, the stakes are extremely high not only from a monetary perspective but from a freedom perspective yeah. we need this to succeed if we're gonna have freedom in the digital age it should be approached with as much caution and uh and discretion as possible yeah i mean i'm really hopeful that uh you know somebody can get on Rogan and make that case that uh, Gladstein did because, uh, you know, with, with maybe Gladstein should. Oh, I mean, hell yeah. I mean, I, I'm for that. But like, you know, there's like some really harrowing cases of uh, I don't know if you know who Francis Ngannou is. He's the current UFC heavyweight champion. He's a Cameroonian. Yeah, he's a beast. Oh, yeah. Freaking monster. Um, but so his backstory is fleeing Cameroon and living on the streets of France. No, right? Well, so the, the more interesting part is how he got there. And, uh, you know, he told this on Rogan of like, you know, you leave Cameroon. I believe you get human trafficked up through Mali up to uh, the, the, I think it's Morocco. I'm sorry if my geography is wrong here. It probably but, is Morocco. It's right across the Yeah. I th the and then, the, then you Spain. eventually try and get on a boat and like go over to France. And I, you know, if you make it, I think they just throw you in jail or something and let you out on the streets in France. So like, that's the goal for a Cameroonian citizen is to, you know, get to France and then you kind of are in Europe. And the, the relevant parts of the conversation, though, is him talking about trying to get money from Cameroon to France so he doesn't start from square zero in France. And along the way in Mali, I believe it is, uh, there's highway bandits that try and shake these people down for everything that they're, you know, th that they're carrying with them, you know, make them strip their clothes, um, you know, look for any sort of cash that they have and they're going to rob them. Right. And so what they do or what Francis did anyway is they end up like putting wax around their money and then swallowing their money and then shitting it out. Like, you know, Holy when they get shit. over to Morocco, I believe, um, 
this, you know, is one of these just stories that hits really close to home with people. This is people you know. This is people that, you know, have done this and now are so successful here in the United States. And, uh, you know, relating to those people is, is a very important thing. I think we as a country would be much more welcoming of immigrants if they could bring over, you know, whatever resources that they have with them from the country that they came from, Cameroon in Francis's case, rather than, you know, having to worry about, you know, getting robbed on a highway in the middle of Mali in like a 120 degree heat when he's like sitting in the back of a truck bed with like 15 other people. Um, you know, it's just, you know, the privilege that we have in the United States is like, you know, orders of magnitude, but that's one that people don't appreciate. And that's why Gladstein's podcast resonated with me so much because I kind of connected the dots between what Francis said on Rogan and what he's talking about, you know, with his message out there. So it, you know, it isn't, it isn't just a narrative. This is something that people are going through. Yeah. I mean, and having been on Lex Friedman's podcast is one degree away from Rogan. I actually think R Rogan might listen to Lex's podcast, so hopefully, yeah, I hope it I inspires hope so. some uh, some. It, it's a you know, it's a one of the best freedom messages I think you can really put out there, and one of the best uh, you know advertisements for Bitcoin, and it, you know motivates people like me to keep building these tools so that uh, people like Francis from Cameroon can uh, you know flee the country that he's in, make it safely to the United States, and just thrive. <sighs> It's happening, man. I've said it many times. Gladstein's one of our most high leverage advocates, potentially the most high lever leverage advocate out there. How can you, how can you tell people fighting for human rights yeah. that like <laughs> Bitcoin is a bad thing? It's like you know, generally the left in the United States is very good at framing things like this, you yeah. know, with their uh, deceptive namings. Yes, and we have nine minutes left before our hard stop, and I do want to get to one thing that I want to ask you about particularly in the transition from HTLCs to PTLCs on the Lightning Network. How do you see that going? Uh, I had a discussion with Ryan Gentry last week, and um, he, I believe his roast beef uh, has a framing around this, so we have to be careful with this transition because you can run into a second system problem um, in some regards. So set the stage for the freaks out there right now. When you set up a Lightning Network channel, you create it. what's called a hash time lock contract. You can go back and listen to the episode Chris Nadav and I recorded before COVID um, in March 2020. But quick refresher, you set up a 202 multi-sig and a hash time lock contract. Um, and it's worked very well. Obviously, Lightning is having exponential growth right now, but there uh, is probably a better way to set up these these channels, which is a PTLC, a point time lock contract. It, it adds more efficiency, more privacy uh, to to more a programmability, more programmability as well to these to these channels. And so. Uh, right now, again, Lightning Network's seeing much success. There's a lot of people creating channels with HTLCs. Now that we have Taproot and PTLCs are, are becoming more fleshed out, people want to begin transitioning to that. Um, and so how do we handle that transition is a big question that, uh, that many are trying to think through right now. So in the uh, AJ Towns proposal, which is what I'm most familiar with, uh, so he says in the Lightning Dev mailing list post that in his world, uh, you would need to close out your channel and open another channel um, how, with your counterparty. Um, however, in his proposal, it does support both HTLCs and PTLCs. So I think that principle just applies to your local counterparty and not necessarily, you know, if you're routing through Timbuktu on the network. That person is my understanding is they wouldn't have to be upgraded and you could use HTLCs with that person. Um, so it, it does, it doesn't, 
my understanding is it doesn't require the entire network to upgrade like in tandem because that's very hard to do with distributed systems. Um, so that, that, that is another like kind of selling point on this AJ Towns proposal. Uh, I, you know, I, I can't say that I'm super familiar with, uh, you know, what roast beef has proposed and I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he's proposed anything publicly. I think right. Right. was just like, he, okay. Heard their discussions, something he's thinking through. Like, yeah. How do we avoid like these type of second system problems? Yeah, and you know, I I think um, that's like part of why AJ Towns kept HTLC support in his proposal because ideally we'd all just go to a world with PTLCs, and I think theoretically that is where everybody wants to go. But you know, the real world's a little bit more messy, and it takes time for people to upgrade, uh, and you kind of have to you know have backwards compatibility for some of these you know for for lightning as well because we also don't want to hold a gun to people's head and say hey upgrade or you're off the network that's kind of against the bitcoin ethos is like where we you know try and be inclusive on the network and not kick people off uh, you know with things like hard forks on the base chain but also like forcing people to upgrade to maybe a new mechanism like ptlc's could theoretically be construed as like coercive as well so mm -hmm. yeah I don't, yeah. Did I answer your question there or not? Yeah. Well, I don't think there is an answer to it, um, right? At yeah. This point, like, and, it, you know, we're very much going through the, uh, you know, proposal stage. Everybody's reviewing things. I think everybody wants to get to this end goal. But, you know, the uh, it, it takes time and, you know, people miss things and uh, new information is introduced and we need to adapt and uh, figure out, you know, how we can keep people on the network as well. Yeah, no, it's just like an interesting, particularly problem, especially considering like the again the growth of the Lightning Network's experience in the last six to eight months. It's like, oh, it's hitting the mainstream now. Yeah. It's like, all right, we're here, but we actually need yeah. to transition to this thing because it's better. It's like, oh fuck. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but hey, I mean, the silver lining there is that's a very good problem to have. Yes, and is. like you know, it's better than the alternative of like, well, nobody cares, so we can just be a dictator because you know there's like three people that are interested in this thing yeah and uh you know lightning is getting past that stage you know you see you know the like bitfinex for instance who have just been such great advocates for uh, you know bitcoin technology uh i think they have like something like 300 bitcoin in their outgoing uh lightning channels these days and like gosh that's you know that's a chunk of change in uh, today's world is that is that 1.8 million or 18 million dollars or something more like than, that yeah it's got to be more than one 1.8 let me check right now I th maybe it's 18 million dollars and uh you know that's I, obviously they are a huge exchange they operate hot, hot wallets all the time yeah 18.6 million if we're assuming a sixty-two thousand dollar price yeah so um but i mean <laughs> lightning is evolving we want more programmability on lightning and that is kind of one of the fundamental value propositions of ptlc's along with um nice things like better privacy which we all appreciate as well yeah yeah it's happening people like chris are making it happen and i, I appreciate your work well i mean i think it's important to highlight again like the people that aj cited in his you know blog post on this stuff yeah jonas nick andrew polstra z-man who has been such a great contributor over the years lloyd fournier out of uh, australia he is a very prolific contributor to dlcs as well and you know maybe these people don't you know get the, the limelight or you know don't uh, get to be on twitter or cnbc or whatever but they're the people that are doing a lot of hard most of the time unrewarding research work and it takes years if not like decades for this work to come to fruition and um 
I just I just want to make sure we highlight those people and say we're appreciative to your uh, you know your your contributions to the space and it's so cool to see it all kind of come together. Yeah, certainly, certainly, extremely appreciative. Again, as a as a imbecile podcaster, I would not be able to do this without that. Where I yeah, it goes layers out. The, the BitDevs community. I mean, I think that's you know how. Uh, Wait, you started attending uh, NYC BitDevs one like 2015. I mean, how like you know the OG that leads uh, the New York City BitDevs community is uh, you know if you such if, a great advocate. If you had more too. time, I'd go in there and get my notebook with my notes from that meeting. Uh, Russ Yanovsky was up, and uh, I remember it vividly, uh, which is maybe weird, but I, I do for whatever reason. He was describing uh, the the conversation at the Hong Kong. Um, the Hong, oh, yeah. Hong Kong meetup about the discussion around Segwit and how to upgrade and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, We've made a long way since 2015, isn't that right? We have. I was wearing a blazer and... Oh, uh, boy. And uh, <laughs> I wore blazer slacks and, like, uh, what the fuck? Uh, Did you get your hair slicked back or something like no, that? No, my hair is shit. I never slick my hair back, but I, I had, a, yeah, I had, like, loafers on. I was like, oh, I'm a fucking idiot. Like, it's like, these are developers. <laughs> shit, no one told me that. I thought these were money guys. Yeah. Uh, I learned. I learned. I've adapted. And, uh... We're here in Austin talking about Bitcoin, DLCs, Lightning, PTLCs, HTLCs. We've come a long way. Lightning wasn't even, yeah, Lightning wasn't even an idea maybe at that point. Um, when was the paper Early written? rumblings. Yeah. Early rumblings. Yeah. We've come quite, quite a long way since then. And uh, I think we've got an even longer way to go ahead of us. And it's going to be exciting. Like we said in the beginning of the episode, this is a project that uh, can provide a lot of meaning to your life. It has certainly for me. I think Chris would say the same. Absolute purpose. Purpose. Yes. Uh, Better than meaning or better description than meaning for this particular context. And Chris, thank you again for all the work you do. Where can we find out more uh, about short bits, about what you're working on, anything else you want to point the freaks to at um, this particular juncture. Twitter.com slash shared bits. Uh, my personal Twitter is twitter.com slash Chris underscore Stewart underscore five. Uh, check out those YouTube demo videos I mentioned earlier in the podcast for our DLC wallet that we just released and our Crystal Bowl application, which is now on the Umbrella App Store. And, you know, let us know what you guys want to see built on top of DLCs. We're starting to get out of the low-level weeds. And, you know, we got to find killer applications that users actually want to use DLCs for. So we're, 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 we're interested in, like, facilitating those use cases. And I, I would love to talk to anybody that uh, has ideas. Hell, yeah. Reach out to Chris. We're going to link to everything he just mentioned in the show notes. So if you're interested, you can find everything there. Uh, Chris, as always, it's been a fucking incredible pleasure. I love how we start these conversations. We ease into the Bitcoin stuff and then we go full throttle. There's a nice progression to these. I always love talking to you about this stuff. I appreciate the work that you're doing uh, and the perspective that you bring to all this. I hope you have a safe flight back to Chicago, Um, but I can't wait for you to move to Austin. It's going to (laughs) happen. We'll see. We'll see. I got got to sell someone else first. uh, Uh, Just get her down here and uh, me, you... Uh, your fiance Parker. We'll get a couple other Austin. Oh, yeah, get Parker there. He's a, a great advocate. Yeah, we'll for bring Austin. my we'll bring my wife as well, and uh, she'll she'll tell her, hey, it's actually not that bad. I was a little yeah. worried when we moved down here. Well, we were uh, getting ready to move down here, but it's actually been a pleasant surprise. That's I awesome. I think my wife would say that. But um, all right, again, safe flight home. I know you got to bounce. Thank yep. you, and we'll do it again soon. Yep. Good talking. Peace and love, freaks. Peace.